This is Oklahoma football. All right, we're back. It is Thursday, December 3rd, and welcome to another Game Week edition of the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Burton, coming to you from a cold, drizzly, freezing Norman, Oklahoma. And finally, after two weeks, a Liberty loss and a cancellation today, I am joined once again by Mr. Adam Jacquez. Adam, what's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for reminding me about the abrupt ending to the Liberty Flames season and uh really the first college game day appearance for the program getting totally messed up by covid but i am happy that the sooners are back it's been uh, it's been too long yeah as of right now we've uh, we got a game this weekend here in norman ou scheduled to take on the baylor bears at seven o'clock saturday night on owen field adam of course the sooners had to postpone the west virginia game last weekend because of covid and there were rumors out there at the very beginning of this week, that made it sound like, honestly, OU wasn't going to have the numbers to compete once again. But uh, kind of as we've heard, they've had two really good rounds of testing come back so far this week. And that one last hurdle to clear is the testing tomorrow. But uh, for right now, it looks promising. Looks uh, looks pretty much like we're going to have another primetime game on Saturday night. Yeah, it looks good right now. And I think probably some of the best news that we've had all week is uh, Joe Castiglione coming out today saying that OU is now immediately following the new CDC guidelines for uh, contact tracing and uh, when people can get back onto the field, which is great news because if there are some guys out right now or maybe even go out sometime early next week, that just bodes well for future games that we have to play. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, as as far as the contact tracing goes, you know, there's been constant debate how uh, you know, the, the 14-day window, especially for a person that, you know, doesn't necessarily have the virus but has been within close contact, that's just had a uh, a true negative impact on college football teams this entire offseason or this entire football season. So it's nice to see that the CDC working with the NCAA, making the adjustments to that, knocking that back down to seven games. And hopefully that'll help uh, as we kind of close out the season. We'll we'll see all of the best players uh, on the field for these football teams for for the remainder of the season. So, uh, and kind of like what we were le- are learning to, um, you know, uh, OU's been without some. We knew that we were going to be without some key guys last week, and hopefully, uh, going into the game this weekend, we're going to be getting some guys back. It sounds like, but two guys that we know for sure that are going to be out due to COVID this weekend is is Nick Benito, SI Sooners confirmed that earlier today. And uh, it's it's pretty much all but confirmed. There's been a lot of rumors going around, but it sounds like Buki uh, is going to be out this weekend as well. So um, two players for, for sure. And we know that we might have a couple coaches out uh, due to COVID uh, contact tracing, a couple you know positive tests. We'll see who's actually on the sideline on Saturday night. But uh, uh, Adam, it was kind of fun to see going back and listening to uh, Lincoln Riley's press conference as he met with the media on Tuesday. Um, he, you know, he was kind of going through talking about some of the players that they were going to be out with or that they were going to be without some of the coaches also. And then, you know, almost like, uh, you know, Woj bomb style, he drops this huge news that Bob Stoops is going to be back on the sideline, uh, on Saturday. So that, that's pretty cool for OU fans. Yeah, it's pretty great. I think it's still somewhat undetermined whether he's actually going to coach during the game, but it seems like if he was out there during practice early in the week, he will likely be helping out during the game, which is great. I hope that he is indeed on the sideline uh, with the team and not up in the booth because that would be kind of a downer. But uh, but it'll be fun to, to see him out there, especially for a game like Baylor where if things go as planned, oh, you should run away with this one pretty easily. So I'll just add another element to really spice up the game. Yeah, and, and I mean, c- coming into it, as soon as Lincoln Riley dropped that news, I mean, social media, Twitter world, you know, Sooner Nation, it exploded. Everybody was excited about it. You know, tw- Twitter was was fun with all the memes with rock and roll tequila, all the storylines. Is Drake Stoops now going to get the ball thrown to him 30, 30 times on Saturday? It, it was it was fun to see. And, uh, uh, you know, Adam, it, it kind of makes you wonder now that he has been back with the program this week, helping out on the practice field. And it looks like, you know, hopefully we will see him coach in the game. Uh, on Saturday night, but what what kind of uh, what kind of assistance do you think? You know, just speculatory, of course, but uh, you know, from a position group standpoint, or what? How how truly involved could he be uh, in a year stepping onto the field where he really hasn't had any type of coaching or any interaction with the guys from a coaching standpoint so far? 
Yeah, I don't know that I'm expecting a whole lot from him in the strategy department. I don't think he'll be asked to call plays or anything like that. I think mainly he's he's really an extra body to go out there and make sure there's 11 guys on the field or, uh, you know, making substitutions cleaner so that uh, we don't have 12 men on the field or anything like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I just don't know that he's as well versed. Maybe he's been doing a lot more behind the scenes throughout the season in preparation for something like this potentially happening. But I, I don't really see evidence of that at this point. It's it's been so funny watching like other fan bases, message boards, like look looking at you know Texas and Texas A&M for for one is like oh well this is this is Bob getting back into the coaching game for the remainder of this season that way it can uh, it can you know uh, springboard him into a new position for next year but uh, like I said I'm not sure that it's quite that serious but it's definitely you know it's definitely a feather in your hat. Uh, when, when you can just pick up the phone and, and call a Hall of Fame coach that lives two miles down the road and say, hey, come on out, we need some help. Uh, but, but uh, again, that's been really exciting, kind of a breath of fresh air for, for OU football uh, right now. And honestly, when, you know, it's kind of plagued with, you know, the darkness of, of this COVID pandemic going on right now. But, um, Adam, let's just kind of dive into it. OU Baylor <laughs> coming up on Saturday night. OU 6-2 and two on the year, 5-2 and two, uh, in Big 12 play, going up against a Baylor team that's, you know, kind of breaking in some new faces, especially on the coaching staff. Uh, Dave Aranda, former LSU defensive coordinator, he's very familiar with OU, uh, having coached against him in last year's Peach Bowl. Uh, a game that OU fans will, uh, you know, not not long soon to forget. But uh, Baylor two and five, their only wins honestly are against the state of Kansas. You know, Kansas that's a uh, that that's you know pretty much a guarantee win against anybody. And then the last second field goal this past Saturday, knocking off K State. But um, you know, just what what are your initial thoughts, Adam? Have you had a chance to you know to, uh, catch up on any of the ba- uh, the Bears or uh, what? What's this Baylor team look like to you? Yeah, I watched a good chunk of their game this past Saturday against K-State, which uh, was one of their only wins of the year. But, man, they don't have a whole lot going for them. Uh, Offensively, it's Charlie Brewer running for his life again. I'm not sure how he's still playing the game of football with all the hits and concussions he's had. But credit to him, he's he's playing hard. He's still trying to win. I wish he would slide a little bit more because he is he is scary out there with the amount of contact he takes. But there's really nothing around him to help him out. Uh, there's there's no one on the team that's averaging 50 yards rushing a game. There's no one on the team averaging more than 62 yards receiving a game. They're only averaging uh, about 330 total yards of offense. It's it's going to be rough. It helps that uh, helps them that Nick Benito is is not playing, but. There's so many other scary guys coming at uh, at you from the uh, OU defensive line that it probably won't matter that much. Yeah, I mean, as I was going back and doing some research for the for the pod, kind of breaking down Baylor, jotting down some key points, some players that kind of stuck out or stuck out. You know, Charlie Brewer. He's you know he's not the most elite passer, but he gets the job done, completing about sixty five percent of his passes. Um, 13 touchdowns on the year. And honestly, Adam, as I was going through the running back position, kind of going through some of the box scores from past games for them, I was, you know, the prime example this past weekend against Kansas State, I got to looking at the box score and I saw a running back four carries, the other running back seven carries. And I was like, okay, so this team has only got, uh, you know, 12, 13 carries from the running back position. How are they running the football? And then you go back up to the quarterback spot and Charlie Brewer carried the football 23 times last weekend against Kansas State. And honestly, coming into this weekend with that front seven that OU's got, we are going to be without Nick Benito. But Ronnie Perkins, Perrion Winfrey, Isaiah Thomas, I really hope that Dave Aranda and that offensive coordinator down at Baylor, Charlie Brewer cannot run the football 23 times. Just He's he's, he's not going to hold up. I mean, he might have a little bit of success, but uh, OU's front seven, you, you can't let your quarterback run the football 23 times like that and expect him to stay healthy. Well, a good chunk of those are just scrambles on passing plays. It's hard to see off the stat book uh, for that, but he's scrambling because he's not getting any protection up front and he doesn't have any receivers to throw to. So uh, he might be due for another 20 carries again on Saturday night. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I like a couple of the wide receiver uh, guys that they've got down there in Waco, RJ Sneed, Josh Fleeks, a couple of really good players, you know, talented out in space. They can make a guy miss. Uh, OU's going to be extremely, you know, fundamentally well sound tackling on Saturday night. But as you, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Adam, I mean, the, the offensive line play for, for Baylor has really been a, you know, a, 
uh, a key weakness for this football team for you know the entire football season. Honestly, they gave up seven sacks this past Saturday to Kansas State, and they're offensively they're only averaging 102 rushing yards per game, and that's that's you know that, that's by far the worst in the Big 12 Conference. But I mean they're they're doing a few they're doing a few other good things as well, averaging 28 points a game, 335 total yards a, a game, which in the Big 12 by comparison to other teams in this conference, you know that's that's eight out of ten. Uh, in the in the Big 12 for total yards, so a lo- lot of work got to be done, and uh, for for a Baylor offense that struggled for the entire season, it's not going to get any easier this weekend coming into uh, uh, coming into Norman playing a, an OU defense. It's honestly played about as well of football as we've seen from an OU defense probably in the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, I agree. I think this is probably one of the few times where I've looked forward to a matchup with our defense against an opposing offense where. They should just dominate. Uh, they should make Charlie Brewer's life pretty miserable. And it's been a long time since any OU fan has really thought that. So I'm pretty pumped for it. And maybe I'm setting the bar a little bit too high, but uh, I hope they can come out and really dominate. It kind of se- and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like nowadays, particularly this 2020 season, it's finally in a position now to where as I turn on the TV or I walk into the stadium to watch this team play, I'm actually excited every time Alex Grinch's defense takes the field. I want to see what they're going to do on each and every possession. You know, it's it's not like in years past where, you know, you pray that the offense scored and if they didn't score and had to punt or had a turnover, you pretty much had to hold your breath, you know, praying uh, to God Almighty that this OU defense would, you know, either force a turnover or get a stop. But uh, what 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 Alex Grinch has done going in, in year two of Speed D, the tr- turnaround that he's made from uh, for for that entire side of the football for Oklahoma, it's it's honestly I don't think he's getting enough credit for what he's done, especially given the fact that there's still a bunch of Mike Stoops's guys on this defense that he's you know coaching up and getting a lot of production out of that wasn't there in years past. So. Uh, but you know, we, we talked about the, the, the Baylor offense moving over to the defensive side of the football. They're still giving up 27, 28 points a game. Uh, they are pretty good in the secondary. However, you know, only giving up 183 passing yards a game, obviously, you know, they haven't played OU yet. So those numbers can be kind of skewed, but second in the big 12 in pass defense. And, uh, honestly, right now is as well as Baylor has been playing on defense as of late under Dave Aranda. I don't expect the Bears to be able to slow down OU whatsoever on Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. I think Dave Aranda is going to find out pretty quickly how much of a difference the talent he had at LSU was last year against our offense versus uh, this season. And so I don't know that OU will score 60 plus points like they have a couple times already this year, but I don't think that they'll have enough to, to slow the Spencer Rattler and crew down. We haven't heard too much about any offensive players being out or missing the game. So I, I expect uh, our offense to continue to roll and continue to produce put points up on the board on Saturday. Yeah, and it's going to be a it's going to be a cold cold night. Temperature's supposed to be in the mid 30s um, as the game kicks off and moves in further into the night. But you know the the key thing that jumps off to, uh, the the page for me when looking at this Baylor defensive football team, the defensive line is seriously undersized by comparison to other teams that OU's played, not just in the Big 12 play, but in, in the past couple of years as we've been out of conference, as we've seen in bowl games. And, and, and the numbers just back it up. You know, uh, Baylor's giving up 183 rushing yards a game. That's, you know, eighth in the Big 12 conference. And here comes Ramondre Stevenson and TJ Pledger into this game. And, uh, I mean, like I said, with weather, expect to be an issue, you know, cold, windy. You've got to think that Lincoln's just going to have Spencer Rattler, you know, turn and hand the football off to his guys, and uh, OU should be able to run the football at will with that offensive line that they've got uh, down here in Norman. So, um, Adam, kind of, kind of, before we change gears here, is there anything about the game this weekend that, that you're going to be looking for in, in terms of like a matchup, or do you want to see if this player's taking the next step? Or now that we've got a couple guys that are going to be out with injuries or COVID, some new faces are going to be getting some more playing time. Is there anything else that you're going to be kind of looking for uh, when OU takes the field on Saturday night? Yeah, for me, it's the fact that Buki <laughs> is likely out uh, due to COVID. And seeing how we look back on uh, on him after this game. I think it could be either a big win or a big loss for him. Either a Trey Norwood, who's been uh, listed as first on the depth chart, the most recent recent depth chart at the Nickelback, or does Jeremiah Cradell get some playing time there? If one of those two guys 
plays the majority of the snaps, looks really good, makes a lot of plays. I think uh, I think that's really good for OU potentially, um, and really bad for Buki. But we could also see one of those guys just kind of struggle or not do particularly well, and and then that'll make people probably really appreciate Buki a lot more because outside of the few dumb, dumb, dumb boneheaded penalties that he has, he's been pretty decent, pretty solid. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And I, th- I think you make an excellent point. I mean, outside from the few, you know, dumbass penalties, he's he's played pretty well all season long. You know, you, you, he hasn't really been in a position other than a couple plays in the Iowa State game where he's just been undersized, you know, going up against a six foot six tight end where he's just been, you know, out, out man and couldn't make a play based on his size. But uh, I, I'm excited, you know, obviously, you know, don't wish him, don't wish that they didn't have COVID. But, you know, when you lose a guy like Nick Benito at that outside rush position, what that can do as far as giving guys <clears throat> like Marcus Stripling or Brendan Walker, give them some more snaps, kind of get them some more experience, see what they can do. And as you alluded to with Buki, giving a guy like Trey Norwood some more time at the nickelback position, get, you know, Jeremiah Cradell, a guy that OU fans have been wanting to see more and more of as the season has gone on, give him some more snaps because ultimately with if OU takes care of business these next two weeks, we're going to see those bigger 6'5", 6'6", tight end bodies in at Iowa State when we take when we you know hopefully knock on wood that's what we would be seeing in the Big 12 championship so giving those two guys some more reps give Buki another week's worth of rest uh, I, I think that that could pay huge dividends especially you know ha- with how OU and Iowa State could potentially match up on December 19th down in Dallas so uh, but w- one other thing you know kind of a uh, a thing that um, o- OU fans especially ones that kind of keep up with recruiting kind of an underlying uh, or excuse me, kind of a uh, storyline here to kind of follow outside of what's happening between the lines. Uh, it's shaping up to be a pretty big recruiting weekend in Norman also, kind of a mini Sooner Summit uh, that, that Caleb Williams and, and his dad's been able to kind of put together. We've got Amika Egbuka, hope I'm saying that right, uh, six foot one, 180-pound, five-star wide receiver out of Washington, the number one wide receiver in the country, um, who many people have thought expected him to be an Ohio State lean uh, for for this, but he's been wanting to he's been wanting to uh, take this trip down to Norman. He's had it circled on his calendar. We know the impact that Caleb Williams has had. You know the the conversations that he's having, kind of spearheading uh, this recruiting class. And then we found find out about an hour ago that Tristan Lee, the five star number one offensive tackle in the country, he's going to be in Norman on Saturday. So. Uh, that that that's a huge huge uh, huge deal, Adam. When, when you've got two five star number one uh, recruits at the, each each of their own position coming into Norman on Saturday. For sure, I really think the race with Tristan Lee kind of feels over, similar to how everyone knew Caleb Caleb Williams was coming to OU long before July fourth. So I, I really look at his presence on campus as really a bonus for Emeka Ibuka. He's the guy that we've all kind of talked about, you know, if we could just get him to campus, then we're we're probably his leader or we're right there 50-50. And so just having more and more elite guys surrounding him, you know, saying, hey, we're coming to OU. We need you here. We need, we need you to be a part of this. It can only help. So I'm excited for our chances with that. I think it, it could be a really big, impactful weekend that we look back on in uh in december later in this month i guess we're we're a little bit late because the normally this would be big 12 championship weekend but signing day is is just like a week and a half away and then uh the second signing day in february but i think we could look back at that time frame and say you know that baylor weekend was really what moved the needle for him yeah and kind of what you're referring to i mean having national signing having the early national signing day uh, on I think it's a Tuesday or Wednesday coming up here in a couple weeks, and then if OU is able to make it to the Big 12 championship game, they'll be playing football three days after the early signing day, so that's not usually the case. But, no, I, I think that you're exactly right. The the fact that Tristan Lee, he's been on campus. He's been to LSU multiple times. He's been to OU. He's seen everything. He's had every pitch from every coach th- uh, made to him at this point. And the fact that this is not uh, this is not in a time where uh, where official visits are allowed by the NCAA, the fact that he is you know spending his money, taking his time to actually come down here and see OU once again, having Caleb Williams already here in Norman to play host to him, I think that that just does like kind of what you were saying. I think that's nothing but positive for OU, and 
hopefully they can uh, kind of tie the knot this weekend uh, whenever he makes it down to Norman. And what you're referring to with, you know, Amika, the I, I've watched his film. He reminds me a ton of C.D. Lamb. Just what he can do, you know, not not just high point in the football, but once he has the football in his hands, the plays he can make after the catch. If if OU is able to get him on campus and get him signed, you're talking about it. You're talking about a uh, having him, Hazelwood, Bridges, Weiss, Marvin Mims, Austin Stogner, all those guys on campus next year with Spencer Rattler going into it, going into his second year behind at the quarterback position. I mean, the rich get richer, dude. So. Uh, again, huge recruiting weekend that kind of came together last minute. So uh, we'll we'll be, we'll definitely be uh, t- tuned into that to try to follow and uh, track down if anything big happens over the weekend. So, uh, but Adam, let's uh, I kind of want to turn our focus over here towards uh, the the Big Twelve as a whole, kind of the Big Twelve roundtable. Honestly, outside of the games that are going on, you know, e- each and every you know, each and every Saturday right now, the big deal right now in college football is the current state at the university of Texas right now with, with, you know, uh, Tom Herman, he's still the coach hasn't been fired yet. Kind of seems like that's not when, but or not if, but when, and urban Meyer, dude, that's been the talk of the town, uh, all across the country. And (laughs) you're, you're even seeing, uh, all sorts of things on message boards. The Texas fan base is freaking out. They are just dying to get Tom Herman down to Austin right now. Yeah, I, you see a ton of rumors, you know, his wife was in town looking at real estate, like, come on, that's, <laughs> that doesn't happen. And then the other one, I think there was a thread where they were comparing a, a video call that he was on and questioning whether he was in a local hotel resort down there. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Like they're grasping at straws to make themselves feel better that he might be their coach. And the fact that he isn't their coach yet or that they haven't fired Tom Herman yet, I think tells a lot because it's not like they're quibbling over the amount of money right now. They have the money. They're willing to put all the money in place to get him. If he's, if Urban Meyer's sitting over there going, I don't know, give me some more money. Like that process has already been done. So it's really just a matter of does Urban Meyer want to get back into coaching and does he want to do it at Texas? And I'm not sold on that quite yet. So I don't. Uh, I don't. Trouble. Yeah, I don't necessarily see what is so appealing. What what would be so appealing to Urban Meyer taking the Texas job? I mean, there there's so much more coaching at Texas than it is than just coaching the football team. You got to deal with the boosters. There's the politics. There's the administration. All the donors, and it's just. Texas football right now is in such a bad place. Not that they don't have talent on campus, but I, I mean, it's truly going to take like a Nick Saban or an Urban Meyer to even put them in a position where they're able to bring that program back. And, you know, we all know about Urban, you know, stepping away from football for health issues. You know, he's got to be making really good money right now, you know, working four or five, six months out of the year for Fox with, with college football. So, I don't know some of the some of the dollar figures that they're that they're throwing out right now twelve million dollars you know to to coach football that's got to be hard to turn away but honestly right now I don't know if if that would even be appealing to him he's got money he's later in, you know he's moving towards the later stage of his life looking to do something a little bit you know more or outside of coaching so Adam it, it just kind of feels like you, you know you alluded to. Texas, it seems like they're they're throwing all their eggs into the Urban Meyer basket. I mean, you've got a fan base looking at a at a video that he recorded on you know for Fox College Football Saturday, where he's in a hotel room, and you've got this fan base uh, you know mulling over different hotels, looking at pictures online. Is that the same curtains as 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 that hotel that's you know down on Sixth Street in Austin, and so on and so forth? And it just kind of seems to me like if they don't get Urban Meyer, which you know we really don't see any. Uh, we really don't see that leaning one way or the other. But if they don't get Urban Meyer, I don't know what direction you go in after that. I think they have to bring Tom Herman back in that case because I don't think that they can justify firing Tom Herman for anybody but Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is the closest thing to, and I don't even know that it would be guaranteed, but he's the closest thing that they can get to a guarantee of success. They're too arrogant to look at a lot of other guys that, would have a solid chance like a like a Billy Napier from Louisiana Lafayette or maybe a Brent Venables. Um, they're really they, they think so much of themselves that, you know, we're Texas. We only get, you know, head coaches from big time schools. 
And so they've, they've put all their eggs in one basket. And if they strike out on Urban Meyer, uh, they could be sitting in a situation that's even more uh, volatile, I guess, than what USC has right now with Clay Helton, where all their fans are checked out. They're not interested in Clay Helton as a coach. And he's really just a lame duck coach, but yet USC is doing all right this year. But Texas fans are going to mutiny after this season. And I don't know what Chris Del Conte and the rest of the administration are, are going to be able to do at that point, because can you justify firing Tom Herman to get your third, fourth choice? And I don't even know who that would be because they won't even listen to anything beyond Urban Meyer. Well, that, that's a perfect segue because I do want to ask you and, and get your thoughts on this. If, if Adam, if, I, if I'm Chris Del Conte right now, if, if I'm not going to get Urban Meyer, then what do I do? Do I bring Tom Herman back? To me, there's two other guys outside of Tom Herman that I think you, if you're Chris Del Conte, you pick up the phone and you give him a call to, to gauge their interest and see if you could get them to come to Austin. Number one is Luke Fickle at Cincinnati. He's a former Ohio State guy, actually learned under the tutelage of, of uh, Urban Meyer. Uh, I think that with, with what he's done at Cincinnati, the defense they've got this year, that offense is rolling, kind of the system and the culture that he's instilled uh, down at the Cincinnati Bearcats. I think that that could be a good fit for uh, for the fan base down in Austin. And then number two for me is the coach that just beat him at, in their home stadium, Matt Campbell. We talked about this, you know, it seems like we talk about it every other week, but, you know, Matt, Matt Campbell's a guy that going into, you know, he's in year five at Iowa State, has taken that program and done a complete 180, bringing them back to, to promise where they're they're playing for a Big 12 championship in two weeks. So see what Matt Campbell's able to do with three-star, two-star, three-star talent, coaching them up, developing those players into a championship-esque team. Imagine what he could do down in Austin with those four-star and five-star caliber athletes. So is Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell, is that two guys that Texas should have on their radar? Or is it as simple as if we don't get Urban, well, let's bring Tom back and we'll we'll drag it out through another year and see what we can do uh, going into 2022? You know, they should be looking at those guys. I don't know that they are because the – you know, the, the athletic department doesn't really control as much at Texas as it does in other schools. The fan base and the big money donors have their hands in way too many areas. And to, to turn around and say, hey, sorry, we didn't get Urban Meyer, but here's Matt Campbell. Well, some people will get on board and, and say, yeah, we like him. And, and other parties will throw a huge hissy fit knowing, you know, it's Texas. So, even if they could get both of those guys, and I'm not sure either of them would want that job because I, there's a lot of people that think the Michigan job is going to open up. I don't think Luke Fickle will take that being an Ohio State guy, but if you're Matt Campbell, would you rather have Michigan or Texas? See, I, I think in that situation, I think he would rather have Texas because, you know, Matt, Matt Campbell, he's an Ohio guy. He's he's an Ohio, He's got the Ohio State background. But, I mean, in all honesty, Adam, I, I mean, every, everybody – it seems like everybody always makes the claim that, you know, Texas is the best job in college football. I don't think Texas is a is a top five or six job in college football. I don't think it's on the same caliber of an Alabama, of a Georgia, a Notre Dame, a Clemson, an Ohio State, an Oklahoma. I know that they've got, you know, all the resources and all the money in the world down in Austin for, for that football program, but – I mean, am I going too far in, in saying that they're not a top five, top six? If you gave if you gave Nick Saban his pick, I guarantee you Texas is not in his top four or five. I don't think it's a top five job anymore. It's it's really not a top five job, except in theory, because you look at it and go, oh yeah, there's a lot of money there, and they have a big fan base, and they historically have had some success, and. Um, you know, there's a big recruiting base everywhere, but that really hasn't translated to as much success on the field to, for all the resources that you have there. And so I don't know, maybe Matt Campbell and, and guys like him look at that and go, man, I would love to be at Texas because they have fewer resources there. But Matt Campbell's going to have his choice. I think NFL teams will look at him. I think Michigan will look at him and, and any other type of big, big job that opens up. But at the same time, if he's beating Texas regularly, kind of like he is now, and going to the Big 12 championship game, he might not be able to do that as regularly at Iowa State. But I, to take on all the risk of going to Texas and flaming out, potentially, I don't know if it's worth it for him. 
let me let me throw two more names at you that I just thought of, and then we'll transition over to another Big Twelve team that's kind of having some you know some similar problems with their fan base wanting more out of their head coach or possibly even a different head coach. For for the University of Texas, my other two guys that I would consider giving a phone call to, both are with the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule, and Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator. Head coach of an NFL team, offensive coordinator of an NFL team. Adam, do you think that there's do you think that there's any way either one of those two guys would be interested in coming back down to Texas to to be the head football coach there? Matt Rule, no. Although I think he would be an incredible hire. It would be a ton of money to get him uh, down to Texas, and and so I I don't know. I mean, once you get to the NFL level, most guys don't come back. Uh, I don't, in fact, I don't even know of a NFL coach that has been pulled away uh, to a college job, you know, without being fired from the NFL first. So I don't even know that that's possible. Joe Brady, I think he would listen, but man, that's a ton of risk you're putting on one guy that has really had mm. one great season at LSU. He was a part of some of the good things that were happening with the New Orleans Saints, but um, the, not like the Carolina Panthers have had this incredible banner year uh, offensively and and realistically he's looking at a career more in the NFL right now where there's teams looking at him as an offensive coordinator or head coach uh, in the NFL so he's probably better off staying where he is too I, I com- completely agree I think that LSU Joe Brady had a huge impact on that football team last year with what he did with Joe Burrow you know in, in his final two years at LSU but I mean, LSU caught lightning in a bottle at Orgeron. You know, there's probably nobody that knows that better than him right now after seeing all the struggles that they've gone through this year, losing as many players as they have did. And and I, I think they've, what, won three games this year. Um, so the, the it, it's going to be interesting to follow. And, you, you know, you do you give Tom Herman another year if you can't get Urban Meyer? Is there going to come a point in time where Texas would even risk firing Tom Herman before they have a, you know, a verbal commitment or a guarantee that Urban Meyer would come back? So, um, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting to follow all the things happening down in Austin, and we'll we'll continue to do that as we move towards the end of this football season. But uh, Adam, before we move to the to the national college football landscape, I want to get your thoughts on Oklahoma State. Ha- obviously, had a chance to to recap Bedlam last week with uh, with Tyler McComas, but I want to get your thoughts on this because one of the things that we talked about was it seems like at this point right now, Oklahoma State, the fan base as a whole. It seems like the it seems like Mike Gundy has almost overstayed his welcome in in Stillwater. And, and what I mean by that is he's now two and fourteen against Oklahoma in his sixteen years of coaching at OSU. Obviously, in Stillwater, the pressure to beat Oklahoma is not what it is at a Texas, you know, by comparison to that. But Adam, do you think it's fair to say that Matt Gun- that Mike Gundy has maxed out? his capability of what he's been able to do in Stillwater. Should OSU look in a different direction, try to bring in a younger coach with, you know, that's hungry and wants to recruit and wants to bring in those top, wants to try and bring in those top guys. What are your thoughts on that? OSU is kind of in a catch 22 situation because Mike Gundy, I think is the best coach that they can get, you know, in the sense that he's not going to leave. He really only uses, uh, you know, other schools to boost his contract there in Stillwater. So he's not really looking to leave anywhere. And I think as the older he gets, the fewer teams that are, are going to come after him for a potential job. So that's great to have that type of security in your head coach. Now, he's not going to put in the effort in recruiting. Uh, we've seen that where he's he's kind of got that Bob Stoops in his, his um, you know, later years mentality where he's just not really interested in doing all that. So really what you want from Mike is ideal situations. He sticks around, but he hires some, some rock star, you know, coordinators that are really great recruiters. that are going to go out and do a lot of that work for him. That would be ideal situation because if you do part ways with him, there's no guarantee that the next guy that comes in is going to have any success. Yes. The program has been built up a lot since Mike Gundy took over and with, with all the money from T Boone Pickens and all that has really helped the program a lot, but there's no guarantee that they don't fall back to where they were traditionally, where they were, you know, a doormat type of program. And then if you do get someone who's good that comes in, 
they're going to be looking to leave as soon as they have some success and some new job offers more similar to what Les Miles is. And there's really no younger Mike Gundy out there that is a OSU cowboy that's gone up the coaching ranks that has the experience that's ready for that. So they're kind of in a tricky situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, and again, it, it's tough. I'm not an Oklahoma State fan, but again, living in this state, having family members that are OSU fans, seeing the frustration that obviously they've, you know, my, my cousins have honestly, you know, they they want to see Gunny go. They've kind of given up on it. They think that they've maxed out all that they're going to get out of him. But honestly, if you're Oklahoma State, if you're an OSU fan and you're comfortable with winning eight or nine games, going to an Alamo Bowl every single year, possibly winning a bowl game to get you to a 10 win, the 10 win mark, if you're happy with that, Mike Gundy's your guy. But I think at this point right now, after 16 years, Oklahoma State, if you want to try to get your program to that next level where you are beating OU, you know, not you know, not every year, but maybe every other year or and and not just, you know, holding out for, you know, every four or five years where you've got a good senior class with like a Chuba Hubbard and a Tylen Wallace. You get a good nucleus of guys together where you can try to make a run at a, at a Big 12 championship. And and honestly, I think that's been the biggest fr- frustration with Oklahoma State fans this entire year is that, Adam, I thought coming into this season, I thought OU was gettable. I thought that I thought that with all that they had to replace last year, losing to Kenneth Murray, a CeeDee Lamb, a Neville Gallimore, Jalen Hurts, this was going to be uh, Lincoln Riley's first quarterback that came out of high school to start for OU uh, d- during his time as a head coach. There was going to be – and with all the suspensions that we've heard about, we still don't have Trajan Bridges back. I don't know what's going on with that. But this was going to be the year for a Texas with Sam Ellinger and a senior a senior led team or an Oklahoma State with your you know your you know the 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 trifecta with Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, Spencer Sanders back. And honestly Adam, OU's OU again knock on wood, they're about to be playing for their sixth Big 12 championship here potentially in a couple weeks. So uh it, it's just I, I I don't know. I I think that Oklahoma State, I don't know if they could do better from a consistency standpoint, but I think it might be time for to to let Mike Gundy go out the door and try to try to bring in some young fresh blood uh, down in Stillwater. So uh, we'll we'll move on from that uh, over here to the national college football landscape. We've got some really honestly, it's not the best slate of football games, but there's some pretty good ones this upcoming Saturday, and uh, we'll we'll kind of touch on those as we go go through these college football playoff rankings that came out on uh, on Tuesday. Adam, Adam, what were kind of some of your initial thoughts? Some of the highlights, key takeaways. Uh, from the second week of college football playoff rankings. Yeah, it was just a good reminder that there, there's no consistent criteria for how these rankings are made because there's wild swings from week to week. And we've even seen going back through the years where uh, the rankings completely change on the final week of the year. So I don't know that you can really take a whole lot from them. But, um, you know, it does look like OU is still has that sort of outside chance. Really only one team moved out of the way from this past weekend when Northwestern lost to Michigan State uh, up in uh, East Lansing. But uh, I think the path is still there for OU potentially. For, and we'll, we'll just, honestly, we'll just lead off with this. I mean, if you're Adam, we're obviously, you know, diehard OU fans have have connections to the program, you know, in, in various ways, but why or why or why not should OU fans want this team to make it to the college football playoff for a fifth straight year? Well, let me ask you first, what side are you on? Would you rather go to the playoffs or would you rather play in the Cotton Bowl and beat like a Texas A&M or a Florida? I mean, I'm I'm always of the of the belief that I always want to be in a position where I can win a championship. If you're playing in the Cotton Bowl, you can't compete or win a national championship. Yes, I would love to play in the Cotton Bowl um, after the regular season's over if and beat a team like Texas A&M or Florida. I think that that can give you a tremendous amount of momentum going into 2021. But at the same time, too, even though it looks like Alabama, you know, could obviously they still got to take care of business the rest of the year. But if Alabama's that one seed, even though I think OU has gotten better from a talent standpoint, especially in the front seven. I'm still not there yet with Oklahoma's secondary by comparison to the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States. So as good as it would be to see OU comp- to OU win a Cotton Bowl against Texas A&M, 
I'm I'm the type of fan I want to see him in the playoff every single year. I want to see him have a chance at it because can't win it if you're not in it. So um, if OU figures out a way to sneak in there to that four spot, yeah, it's going to be tough no matter who they draw. But I mean, kind of like what we've been talking about the last couple weeks, this is probably OU's best team collectively uh, in the entire time that Lincoln Riley's been there. So if they figure out a way to get in there, I say go for it. All right. Well, I'm glad you're on my side, but I'm still going to get on my soapbox here. Why are we playing football? To win championships. <laughs> and it drives me crazy that OU fans out there don't want to see OU, uh, us in the playoffs. They just want to see us go to this, this other bowl game and maybe have a chance at being another good SEC team and create this hypothetical momentum going into next year. There's been a lot of talk throughout the years that the bowl game momentum is not real. It doesn't translate to the next season. Let's go back to January uh, 1st of this, I guess this year. It feels like it was years and years ago. But at the beginning of this year, OU had just lost to LSU in terrible, terrible fashion. And it hurt. It was not fun to watch that game. And then we got a, you know, the number one player in the country decommitted from us. And it felt like the sky was falling. Fast forward about six months later to July 4th or so, we have the new number one quarterback in the country committed to us, along with several other highly talented defensive players. So there's there was really no connection to, oh, we lost the game, now momentum's lost, everything's terrible. It, it hurt for a month. It sucked to, to follow the OU program and, and kind of feel like, ah, this is just so frustrating. But you look at the team this year. They are the most balanced team that we've had probably, I don't know, since 2015 or so. But I think we definitely have more talent than that 2015 team on this roster. And they continue to get better and better as the season goes along. So let's go out and play a game. Let's just see what happens. You never know what might happen in a one-game situation. And the fact that this team is so balanced on both sides of the ball, I don't think that you're going to see a blowout situation, even if you play Alabama, who is, I think, by far and away the best team in the country right now. Keeping that game within two touchdowns looks and feels much better and different than any of the matchups that OU has had recently in the playoffs. Two things, two points that I want to make to that. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, but also on the flip side of that, you were talking about the momentum that you lose by getting embarrassed or losing in a playoff game. Let's go all the way back to 2014, case in point. OU takes on Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Trevor Knight's game of his life, I don't know why he could never duplicate even a fraction of that the entire rest of his career at OU. OU knocks off number three Alabama 45-31. to Expectations go through the roof. Here in Norman, they're talking national championship for 2015. What does that 2015 team do? They lay an egg. They go seven and five. So momentum going into the offseason, while it's all well and good, it's a great thing to think about. But at the end of the day, they're still going to work their ass off. They're going to go through you know, winter workouts, spring football, all that. There's still going to be that same level of intensity. And another thing also to Adam, if OU can figure out a way to, to slide into that four spot, obviously there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen for OU to get to that point. Go back a few years ago, Cardell Jones at Ohio State, Ezekiel Elliott's last year. They were, I think they were number six going into the final week before the final playoff rankings were released. They got in there to that four spot ahead of TCU and Baylor. They got hot at the right time. They ended up winning two games, won a national championship. So it is possible, but you can't win it if you're not in the in the semifinals. So uh, for all the OU fans that they want to take on Texas A&M, we want to beat the Aggies. You know, we want to take down Billy Lucci, give that you know, give that fan base hell. I don't. I mean, sure, it would be great if it, if it doesn't work out that way. But if you give me my if you give me my choice between where I want to go, I want to play in the college football playoff every single year. I don't care win or lose. I want to be in that game with a chance to compete for a national championship. So, um, exactly. And this year we have the most unpredictable factor covid and ou has already had some uh, some you know guys step out uh, from covid throughout this season i haven't been following some of those other programs closely but i don't think alabama's canceled a game because of outbreaks with them 
yet. So you never know when that could hit and you don't want it to hit anyone, but you never know when that could take out some key players from the team you're matching up against. And you don't really want to win games because of that, but it's part of what's going on this year. It's going to happen. Adam, looking at the rankings right now with OU at number 11, obviously, like what I said, there's got to be a few things that they go OU's way. There's got to be key teams that get knocked off at the right time. What what do you think is OU's path to get to that four spot right now? What needs to happen in front of them with the remaining two or three weeks of football that could get OU into that four spot? Well, you know, I, I really thought that BYU wouldn't be a problem. And right now they are ranked behind OU, but if they go to Conway and beat Coastal Carolina after two or three days to prepare, I think that could be something that gives them a boost over OU. And so they might be something that we need to keep an eye on at this point. I don't think a one loss Miami's going to have an eye test and, and they're losing a game uh, here at the end of the year now with ACC changing up their schedule. So I don't know how you can sit there and go, OU and Miami, they should stay the same way. I think OU will jump Miami. I think OU can obviously jump Iowa State with a win. I think they beat, they jump Georgia with a championship. So Georgia, really then Georgia at eight is laughable. I don't know how it Georgia is. is number, other than they, the, they other than the conference logo they don't on look their good. jersey. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, JT Daniels has helped them a little bit, but he's uh, he's still they still don't look like they're quite the dominant team that they have been in years past. So I really think that there's just a couple of teams that you're looking at: uh, Florida, A and M, Cincinnati, really. I don't know if OU has enough to jump a Cincinnati if they don't lose. We think Florida will probably be knocked out by Alabama. A&M really only has two, maybe three games left. We'll see how their schedule plays out. They don't have any game that they're not going to be favored in. So we're just waiting for Aggie to Aggie at this point to, <laughs> for them to to drop uh, below us. And I wouldn't put it past them. They they didn't look the greatest against LSU this past weekend. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Well, I, I want to transition over to Ohio State because I've got a I've got a hell of a question that I want to ask you to try to get your thoughts on if you were a playoff committee member. But uh, we'll we'll start off with this one right here. Obviously, Ohio State four and zero right now. That's been kind of the talk, especially from the playoff committee these last two weeks, when kind of explaining the reasoning why they're ranking teams the way they are, whether it's the eye test, the resume, the strength of schedule. Adam at four and zero right now. Obviously, they got the game against Michigan State on Saturday. By all by everything that we've heard so far, it looks like that game is going to be played. The same cannot be said for the following weekend for the game, Ohio State Michigan. Michigan's just completely shut down their entire football program right now with COVID going on. If you're Ohio State, and I'll even I'll even throw this to you, if Ohio State beats Michigan State and goes to five and zero. They don't make the Big Ten title game because they do not qualify for it. They do not play six games. Does a 5-0 and Ohio State, Adam, still get in the college football playoff in your eyes? Well, you have to remember that the Big Ten is doing the seeding games below the Big Ten championship on that date. So second place in the East will play second place in the West. So the matchup there is probably going to be Ohio State-Wisconsin or Ohio State-Iowa, which is probably better than Ohio State playing Northwestern. So that in and of itself will probably give them a, a solid bump. But, man, it's going to be tough to sit there and take the college football playoff committee seriously if they're going to put an Ohio State in the playoffs with a 6 and 0 record over a 9 and 1 team or who didn't win their an conference. 11 and 0 team yeah exactly so uh, i think they i think they'll get in anyway because of the name and the reputation but i don't think they should me personally just by watching this football team play i don't think Ohio State is the fourth best team in the country right now. Um, I, I think that Florida's better. I think that Cincinnati would be competitive. I think OU would be competitive with them. Um, but just just going down and looking back at Ohio State's schedule, dude, I mean, they've, they've got a win over Nebraska, who's currently 1-4. They've got a win over Penn State, who's currently 1-5. Rutgers, they're 2-4. and four. Indiana, the only team that they've played that seems like they have a pulse – they honestly should have lost that game and only winning by seven points. Indiana, you know, kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times during that football game. And then looking back at it, Michigan State's two and three. And even if they do play Michigan in two weeks, they're two and four. 
So Ohio State, Ohio State could potentially have one win or two wins, I guess, if they play Iowa or a Northwestern, whoever, in the in the seeding game. They could have one to two wins over teams above 500. So Ohio State's going to have to look extremely impressive over the next two or three weeks. Like I'm talking huge style points, blow these teams out to put them into a position where, like you said, if they are undefeated, even if they do only have six wins, the logo on the helmet, the prestige of Ohio State, I think that that is going to get them into the playoffs. So, but let me th- let me throw one question at you, Adam, because I, I think that there is a scenario <clears throat> for for this uh, for this football season that I think could create just complete and utter chaos for the playoff committee. And I, don't, I honestly don't know what they would do. Say Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, that puts Alabama at one loss non-conference champion that puts Florida at one loss conference champion Clemson beats Notre Dame so Clemson now has one loss Notre Dame would have one loss and Ohio State wins out so you've got a one loss Bama one loss Florida one loss Notre Dame one loss Clemson an undefeated Ohio State and potentially a a one loss Texas A&M what four teams do you put in there how do you, how do they do that? You go to you go to SEC, you go to ACC. How do you do it? Personally, I would not like to see rematches or a chance of rematches. So I'd rather Notre Dame not make it, considering that they would have lost to a full strength Clemson at this point on a neutral site. I think that clearly shows that Clemson was the better team all along, and Clemson with Trevor Lawrence probably would have won in South Bend. Uh, so I'd rather see Notre Dame get left out in that case. Ohio State, I don't think should be in it, that discussion really, uh, because they just won't have enough games and they really won't have enough solid wins. So I'd rather not see them either. Texas A&M, I don't know by the eye test that I can say that they're one of the four best teams in the country. Um, you know, they've beaten quite a few average slightly better than average teams but then the one quality team that they played i guess they played two so they did i guess we gotta still credit them for florida i keep forgetting that one but they looked they looked pretty rough against alabama which everyone kind of does but i guess i guess a&m at that point give me a&m clemson bama and florida which oh so many sec i hate that three sec teams i hate that I, I honestly think that it, you could potentially be looking at a, at a scenario like that. Personally, I think unless Notre Dame gets beat by 30 or 40 against Clemson in the ACC championship game, I think Notre Dame's in no matter what. I think that we are looking at a situation where you are going to have two ACC teams in with Notre Dame and Clemson. I think that the winner of Florida and Alabama gets in. I think that that's going to be an extremely competitive football game, although I think Alabama will prevail. And then you're going to get into a situation where you could have an undefeated Cincinnati, a one-loss Texas A&M, who I don't think A&M is a top four or even maybe a top five team in the country right now. I still don't trust their offense. I know Isaiah Spiller uh, is a great running back. Uh, A&M's probably got the best offensive line in football right now. But at the end of the day, if you're going to beat Alabama, if you're going to beat Clemson, Ohio State, you got to be able to score points. And I just don't trust Kellen Mond at this point in his career right now which I guess he's almost towards the end of it in, in college. Um, but, but again, it's there, there are a lot of scenarios uh, that, that, could, that could lead to mass chaos for the college football playoff committee, and we're not even factoring in what's COVID going to do for the last month of the year. So uh, a, a lot of, lot of situations, a lot of fun things to kind of keep up with and, and talk about, but that's, that's why we love it, and that's why we love the sport. So, um, Adam, anything else about the uh, college football playoff rankings or any of the teams, any kind of game? Well, I guess we can look at some of the games this weekend. Uh, is there a game or two that you kind of got your eye on that you'll be tuned in for uh, besides OU Baylor? You know, I don't have anything that's top of mind, uh, especially now that the Liberty game is, uh, I guess, altered. <laughs> it's not really canceled, I guess, just Liberty's not in it. But oh, Is, B- um, is uh, Liberty done? Is that their season? Yeah, the, an abrupt end of the season. Yeah, they're they're not going to try to play any more games. Uh, and it's there's a possibility they might not get a bowl invite being an independent. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, I at this point in the year, I'm just looking for some upsets. We haven't had a ton of upsets so far, and we're we're coming down the wire here. I would love to see some upsets that really shake some things up, but I don't know where that's going to come from. 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's really three games this weekend that I think that you could uh, that that I'm going to kind of have my eye on A and M and Auburn. It's time for it's time for the Aggies to Aggie. They, I mean, they've they've been too good, too consistent all year. This kind of feels like a situation where Gus Malzahn. This seems like a game that he always he always has those one or two games a year where nobody gives him a chance, nobody expects him to win. Feels like he's backed into a corner, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if if A and M Auburn t- turns into a late fourth quarter football game on Saturday, and then BYU Coastal Carolina College Game Days there. Uh, th- that's going to be fun to watch just because BYU stepped up and and they're they're playing a top twenty five team, and I think BYU d- destroys them on on Saturday. But Alabama LSU doesn't have the same. Uh, you know, p- pizzazz, or it's no longer a marquee game when you see all the struggles that are going down in Baton Rouge right now. But there's some good games going on uh, that I'll definitely be tuned in for before going up to the stadium on Saturday night. So, um, well, Adam, let's uh, let's get to our betting cards uh, for for Week 14. It's kind of start off. Obviously, we hadn't done a podcast here in the uh, together in the last couple weeks, but we've still done our picks. Um, kind of gaining ground on you, dude. You went five and five over the last two weeks. I went six and two. Uh, back-to-back three-in-one weeks, had a couple cancellations, but finally got myself back over 500. Still trailing you by quite a few games, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, Adam, week 14, five games. Give me your first game and uh, why you like it. Sure. I've got Florida at Tennessee. Uh, Florida's only favored by 17 points. I think they can cover that. Tennessee's in rough shape. Florida's playing uh, you know, at a high level right now, and we saw Alabama uh, win by multiple touchdowns. So I think Florida can do the same. I, I took the exact same one as soon as I saw that line come out, 17 points. Florida's defense is playing a lot better over the last few weeks. In Tennessee, they've been struggling like like no other. Uh, not having any consistency, any productivity from the quarterback position up in Knoxville. So uh, with the Gator defense playing as well as they are starting to come on, you give Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, that Florida Gator offense, I, I think that they cover 17 and win win by a landslide up in Knoxville. So um, give me Florida minus 17. Second game for me, Adam, I'm staying in the SEC, going down to Baton Rouge. I've got Alabama first half covering 16 and a half points. Um, I like, I also like the game in this one also. I think it was Alabama minus 29. But give me that first half, minus 16 and a half. I think the Alabama is going to be able to name the score whatever Saban wants to do, especially after LSU beat him last year uh, with Joe Burrow and everything. Saban not being able to coach last week. He'll be eager and ready to go. So give me the Crimson Tide to uh, to hammer LSU and at least cover 16 and a half uh, in the first half against the Tigers. Yeah, I think that's going to be an ugly game. Uh, for my second one, I've got Syracuse. They're a 33 and a half point underdog at Notre Dame. Syracuse is not <laughs> Syracuse has not lost by that many points all year long. And so I don't <laughs> think that that starts now against Notre Dame, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be more of a slower paced game where both teams are just running the clock to get out of there. Cool. Some got you down Syracuse plus 33 and a half. I think, I think that's a good one, especially Notre Dame. They're looking ahead to Clemson here in a couple of weeks for the ACC title game. Uh, I, I think that Syracuse could stay within five touchdowns. So uh, number three for me, I, BYU going on the road to Coastal Carolina, a game that honestly got put together today. Um, given both of these teams that have really high-powered offenses, two offensive-minded coaches that are uh, outstanding, I like both quarterbacks in this game. W- given these teams only three days to prepare, especially the defensive side of the football, when this thing opened up at 58.5 points total, I'm taking the over on this game. I, I think that this will be. I, I think this game will end up being in the high 70s. Uh, both of these offenses are outstanding. So give me the over 58 and a half for BYU Coastal. Nice. I think that's a that's a pretty solid pick there. Uh, for my third one, I've got Boston College at Virginia. Boston College is actually a four point uh, underdog in this game, and I just I just like all the playmakers that Boston College has on offense. Virginia has been pretty up and down this year, so I'm not exactly sure why they're favored. Uh, so I like what Boston College can can do offensively a lot better than Virginia in this one. So give me the Eagles there. I like it. I like it. Moving on, number four for me. Uh, going back out to the Big Ten, Ohio State traveling on the road to Michigan State. Uh, Ohio State in this one. I'm going to take them to cover in the first half. I know I've been on these first half bets a lot, but uh, – uh, worked out pretty well for me here of late. So Ohio State first half to cover 14 and a half points against Michigan State. 
I think that Ohio State, they've heard all the talk. They they know that they're not going to have near as many games uh, to, to play compared to the other teams in the top five or six. So they need to be impressive. They need style points. So give me Ohio State to cover 14.5 in the first half against Michigan State on Saturday. I think that could be a good one. Um, the next two that I have on my list, I don't have a ton of confidence in. But uh, I've got Tulsa at Navy. Navy's a 12-point underdog. So I like them a little bit more because they are at home. Tulsa has only really blown out one opponent all year, which is South Florida, and everybody's blowing them out. So uh, with a triple option uh, on the field, I think that game can be held a little bit closer than that 12 points. I like it. I like it. I like it. Navy plus 12. Dude, go ahead and uh, go ahead and round it out. Give me number five. Go back to the uh, Big Ten for yours. What's number five, Mister Jacques? Yeah, Iowa at Illinois. I'm taking the under on the 51. <laughs> That's going to be really tight. So I feel pretty nervous about it. But uh, Iowa is holding opponents under 17 points a game, and Illinois is scoring less than 17 points a game. So I think we potentially see a classic Big Ten matchup here, where uh, it's it's not a, a huge blowout, but I think Iowa will will win comfortably. Uh, but uh, it'll be a nice defensive battle for them. You know, I, I miss waking up on Saturdays, turning on the 11 a.m. kickoff for the Big Ten, and seeing a good you know nine to th- nine to three or ten seven game coming from the from the Big Ten. So maybe we'll get that on Saturday. You can cash in that one also. Uh, number five for me, I. I don't know if this is the smart play, but I just kind of have a feeling on it. Uh, Oklahoma State traveling down to Fort Worth, take on TCU. TCU, a three-point underdog. I like TCU in this one. I don't really know what to expect from Oklahoma State. They've had a couple key players opt out uh, this past week. Chuba Hubbard kind of seems like he might be shutting down for the year. I don't trust Spencer Sanders. Um, TCU kind of playing a little bit better football over the last two or three weeks. Obviously, you know, dismantling Kansas. Uh, but by 30 plus this past weekend, another home game uh, for Gary Patterson's team. I like TCU to stay to not only stay within three, but to also beat Oklahoma State on Saturday. That's a that's a little risky there. Uh, you say you don't trust Spencer Sanders, but I'm not sure that uh, you should trust uh, Max Duggan or TCU at this point either. So <laughs> a little risky. Well, just just a feeling. So we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, definitely wouldn't mind seeing OSU lose. On, on Saturday. So Adam, what's this uh, last thing that you added down here, uh, this kind of bowl game uh, topic that you kind of threw together here? Yeah, so we're seeing a lot of bowl games get canceled, unfortunately, right now, and a, a lot of uh, predictions and experts trying to fill out where teams are going to go. So I thought it'd be fun just as a, a little exercise. Maybe uh, we, we basically make up uh, a mystical uh, bowl game that um, or I guess a mythical would be the correct word, but uh, a bowl game that doesn't exist that we want to create, uh, where it would be played, what the stadium would be, what the draw would be, and who we would want to see OU play in that setting. And so I'll lead it off here. I wanted to do something where the weather was really nice. I thought about maybe picking something where it was kind of an unusual area, but most of those would have been cold, especially during you know January, December timeframe. So I went with Cancun, Mexico, uh, there is a stadium there uh, used by a minor league soccer team. It's not the greatest of greatest stadiums. I'll t- we'll tweet a picture out of it later and, and give it the name. But I think if you're going to have a bowl game in Mexico, it has to be sponsored by a Mexican beer. So I went with Pacifico. I know Cancun is on the Atlantic Ocean, but most Americans probably don't know their geography. So it'll work. And I uh, really can't go with Corona right now. So I want the Pacifico Lime Bowl. It will be held at Estadio Andres Quintana Roo. And the uh, matchup I'd like to see there is OU against UNC. The main thinking there is that I don't really want to see a big time matchup. So I'd rather get an opponent that um, would just be an interesting you know, name to see OU go up against that we don't get to see very often. And I don't think UNC fans would be flocking, taking tickets away from from OU fans in this situation because it is a smaller stadium, only holds about 17,000 people. Uh, But uh, as someone who grew up in North Carolina, at least while I was living there, I've never, ever seen a UNC football fan. So I think think OU fans would have plenty of tickets. 
Well, I, I mean, I only know one North Carolina fan right now. She uh, used to be with us, uh, Kiana, Kiki. So uh, definitely be cool. God knows getting her on a beach, that would that would be a uh, <laughs> that would be a good time. So I, I like it. And uh, talk about a, uh, a uh, uniform, like dream matchup, that Carolina blue and that OU crimson uh, being on the field together, that, that would be outstanding. So love the pick. I would definitely go Cancun, Mexico, especially – in January, as opposed to being up here in Oklahoma where it's 25 degrees and, and nasty, it definitely uh, book, booked me to go to the Pacifico Lime Bowl. So uh, for me, I'm staying domestic. I'm going to stay here in the United States. Um, I'm going out to Las Vegas. Like I said, playing a bowl game in, in January, I want to go somewhere where it's going to be warm, maybe sneaking around a golf, do, you know, obviously in Las Vegas, do some gambling, see some shows. COVID, we're going to go ahead and rule that out. That's not in play. Um, so have a good time in Las Vegas. And we're going to do that at the brand new Allegiant Stadium just built uh, for the uh, for the Raiders out there. So I went with the OU versus Ole Miss matchup to be played in the Maker's Mark Hangover Bowl right there in Las Vegas. So I uh, I think OU, Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss, um, definitely seeing all the pictures, videos from the Grove. I got a couple buddies that went there. They like to have a good time. So uh, combine Ole Miss and the Grove with Las Vegas, Nevada. I think that that would be an outstanding atmosphere and a fun trip uh, for an OU Bowl game. So give me OU Ole Miss in the Maker's Mark Hangover Bowl in Las Vegas. I like it. I uh, love everything about it, all the thought lines there. I don't want to burst your bubble a little bit. This bowl kind of exists, the Las Vegas Bowl, already there. Uh, it did get canceled, so it hasn't happened yet in the Allegiant Stadium. Uh, but uh, we'll let that one slide. Okay, I, well, you know, you know, you, I threw it together last minute, Maker's Mark Hangover Bowl. <laughs> that, that sounds a lot better. I think it's so, a great name. Hey, yeah. that, that, maybe we should uh, send that out and uh, see if we can get someone to, to pick it up and run with it. So I, I definitely go. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> so two two really good bowl games. I would definitely go to Cancun instead of Las Vegas, preferably, but uh, can't go wrong either way. So, Adam, let's close it out here. OU Baylor Saturday night, seven o'clock prime time on Fox. Uh, OU looking to to keep their uh, Big Twelve championship hopes alive, get another win against the Bears. Give me your final score and why this team is going to win. Yeah, I've got OU forty eight, Baylor sixteen. I just I don't see Baylor having enough to really move the ball very often on OU other than Charlie Brewer scrambles. So I don't think that they're going to have much success. And it may be a game where I think OU gets out and scores, you know, 31 points in the first half and then really doesn't do a whole lot in the second half. But uh, but yeah, I've got OU 48 to 16. I'm right there with you, very close to that. Um, I'm going to go OU 52, Baylor 20. Uh, I think that this is going to be a game, obviously, where OU is going to have a tremendous, uh, tremendous advantage on the on the offensive side of the football. Like I said, Baylor giving up 183 rushing yards a game. That's eighth in the Big 12. So pr- pretty bad, especially when you've got Ramondre Stevenson uh, lining up across from you uh, in the OU backfield. So I think OU is just going to have too much offensively. Baylor's not going to be able to stop him. I am excited to see what OU is going to be able to do. Uh, one, it's another test against a mobile quarterback, but also at the same time, give some of those younger guys, uh, younger guys due to the COVID uh, kind of uh, taking effect on this football team, give some of those young guys a chance to get out there and make some plays and get some experience. So um, I think OU should take care uh, of, of business on Saturday night. Rattler, take care of the football. I think OU shouldn't have any problem with Baylor whatsoever. Uh, but now they just got to go out there and do it. So Baylor or OU 52, Baylor 20, uh, ride that momentum all the way into West Virginia next weekend. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I just hope I don't uh, freeze to death on Saturday night. Perfect. All right. Well, anything else before you want to get out of here? That's all I got. Awesome, man. Well, like I said, OU Baylor, 7 o'clock Saturday night. Appreciate you guys listening. As always, go go on social media. Give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod one You can find all of our stuff on Apple, Spotify. Uh, give us a like, subscribe, write us a review. Always love hearing from you guys. Appreciate your feedback. And uh, again, take care of businesses against Baylor on Saturday night. Ride that momentum into West Virginia next weekend. And we look forward to being back with you guys next week on another episode of the Mainline Podcast. Boomer Sooner.